but uh yeah like my, my kids think i'm nuts because like um like the one i did for you most recently with the uh the the most recent trifecta what was it called uh we don't talk anymore right um almost all of the sound effects apart from i think the gas oven uh because i don't own one was done with my own microphone just around the kitchen and um of course, both of my kids are home. Both of the dogs are out, and I'm trying to get good sound off of it. Ruin your and then splat. my kids are like tiptoeing through the kitchen. <laughs> They're like, "Daddy's weird." Yeah, it's like dad. Dad spends lots of time in the closet talking to a box. He's, <laughs> he's taking a shower, I think, but there's a microphone outside of it. Drabblecast Director's Cut Special Trifecta. Things We Made, with Adam Pratt. Drabblecast Director's Cut Specials are regular monthly features where we bring back a story, or in this case, stories, from the archives, and play them uncut as part one. Then in part two, we replay the episode with bonus commentary on top from the author, or in this case, the story's producer, Adam Pratt. In part two, we talk about all the inside baseball that goes into producing a Drabblecast story from start to finish. Hope you enjoy. Useful Objects by Erica L. Sativka after he passes the age of reason, my brother chooses to become a foundation. Specifically, the foundation of the New State Capitol Building in Austin, Texas. You've never been to Texas, I say. It was the best opening they had, he replies with a small, sad shrug. And you get weekends off. I'm still working the counter at Jiffy Mart delaying the inevitable at a pointless task nobody asked me to perform. My friends have all gone off to be fire hydrants or ATMs or jackhammers or five-piece dinette sets. Undifferentiated, the makers call shirkers, like me. I hear them whispering through the thought rays that emanate from their human-powered satellites, saying, Choose. Decide. Be of use. And I reply, not yet. A bell jingles, and I look up to see a woman in mid-transformation barging into the store. Probably just took her injection after a weekend of rest. She's half-human, half-Vespa, and her chassis scrapes the paint off the doorframe. A little hell? I sigh and maneuver her through. I would have just brought her purchases out to the parking lot if she'd asked me to. What do you need? Motor oil. Oreos. I tuck the items into her saddlebags. No charge, of course. As I close the door behind her, she belches a cloud of exhaust into my face. The transformation complete, she idles at the corner until a passing maker hops aboard. It pops an Oreo into its mouth and speeds off, jagged teeth covered in chocolate bits. The makers are alive but they're not organic. The division between living thing and object doesn't exist for them. And they have a hard time believing that we care about such a piddling thing as keeping our own bodies to 
to a maker, a job's a job, and we all play our role. Except for us selfish, undifferentiated types. Choose, say the voices in my head. Decide. Not yet, I say. Piss off. That keeps the voices down. For a little while, anyway. The maker's home is as artificial as they are. A spherical factory orbiting a distant blue sun. No nature, just industry. They arrived in the bodies of the last race they'd conquered. Ships that died on contact with our atmosphere. The ships died happy, the makers told us, knowing they had been of use. I'm not so sure about that. It was a slow invasion massed as a self-improvement regimen. None of my friends really had a job. We were all living on plastic, taking useless classes at the community college to maintain our health insurance, while we pretended our parents' basements were fabulous studio apartments. The lines for the maker's employment centers stretched down the sidewalk like an ant trail. Except, I kind of liked the art history class I was enrolled in at the time. I didn't mind living at home. And anyway, injections hurt. The makers tend to their human machines like careful gardeners. They shamble down the human-lined streets on their twisted, insectoid legs. And every day, I feel their alien hate pulsing at me. When they were full-time people, my parents used to telecommute, so it made sense for them to become a house. Which is great in one way, because I don't have to sleep in a stranger's armpit. But it's also bad in another because there isn't any privacy. Sex becomes unthinkable in a house built from your parents' bones. I think that's why my brother's moving so far away. I'll miss you, I say as I watch my brother pack his bags. He's already taken his starter injections, and his words come out thick and gravelly. Stone man, you could come with me. I don't know anyone down there. I say. I don't add that I don't know anyone here either anymore. We don't wear name tags or anything, so you only know your friends when they transform into their part-time human forms. And useful objects don't want to hang around with undifferentiated slackers, like me. I'll write you. You'll still be able to read, won't you? Of course I'll be able to read. I can do anything you can do. Except move. But you get weekends off. Weekends, he says. And alternate Wednesdays. I don't take public transportation anymore. And I don't dare climb in a taxi. Not when I could be entering the cab of my hated fifth grade teacher. Luckily, I only live ten miles from the ocean. I grab my trusty bike, which was never alive, and pedal down to the coast. Choose, the voices say, contribute, be I pedal faster. Because it's November, the ocean is deserted. I take off my shoes, roll up my pant legs, and wade into the brackish water. I choose to be the air, I think. I choose to be the rain on my face and the rocks beneath my feet 
the waves crashing over the rocks and the sun beating down on the waves. I wish to disappear into nature, into the earth itself. And that's something the makers can't give us, for these things have no function. They are not of use. I stand in the ocean until the pounding rain becomes too much to bear. My teeth chatter, but I just can't bring myself to leave. The rain drowns out the voices, and the dark keeps me from seeing the boats in the distance and wondering who they are, if they're anyone at all. Someday, I know I'll have to choose. I can't remain undifferentiated forever. Not yet, though. Not yet. I'm not nearly ready yet. Metal and Flesh by Stephen R. Stewart Sato lay on the cement floor of the workshop in a pool of his own blood and tried desperately to get Kuro-4's legs working again. The robot, in turn, tried to deal with the gaping wounds in Sato's smashed leg and pelvis. Go-stones were all over the floor, scattered like black and white drops of rock. Go had been one of the few games Sato and Kuro-4 could play together to pass the time. AIs had trouble with Go, and Sato could hold his own against Kuro-4. Sometimes he even won. The Go stones had rested in two worn wooden bowls on the table by the main hatch. Now they were mixed together on the floor, blood and hydraulic oil oozing around them like a slow river. Sato twisted his torso, torqued the wrench, and finally popped the release that allowed the panel on Kuro-4's lower back to slide open. The effort made Sato's head spin. Outside, the cold Martian winds buffeted the workshop walls, causing the metal to groan. The asteroid strike had heated the alloy, but now the temperature was falling back to normal. The lights overhead dimmed, but stayed on. The wry eyes on Kuro-4's face screen studied Sato's worried face. If the impact left even a third of the solar panels intact, Kuro-4 said, that should be enough to keep life support going. Sato grunted. Sweat poured down his face. If I don't get your legs working, it won't matter. All the suits were in the decom chamber, and the asteroid had torn that room in half. Rescue would take 44 days to arrive, and if Kuro-4 couldn't walk to bring back supplies, Sato wouldn't last half that long. Well, work faster, Kuro-4 said. You're letting me win. I've already managed to repair three of your major blood vessels. Out of how many? Kuro-4 was silent. You've got it easy, Sato said. No pain. On the other hand, the mechanisms you are working on are simple compared to the human body. It repairs itself. What could be simpler? Kuro-4 smiled. They lay on the floor side by side for almost an hour, a yin and yang of metal and flesh. 
They talked back and forth, each contending their job was harder, that they were winning the competition to see who could fix the other first. Neither admitted how scared they were. Eventually, Sato's hands went numb. Reassembling Kuro-4's servo had been difficult enough when he could feel the pieces. Foggy and frustrated, Sato lay back on the floor and struggled to catch his breath. The cement felt soft, like a down pillow. When Sato looked up, Kuro-4 was studying him again. What's that face? Sato asked. What are you thinking about? Back home, AIs aren't recognized as living beings. Sato struggled to sit up. Why are you thinking about that now? The network says the other buildings are breached, which probably means you're the only living human in the complex. If you die, they won't spend money on an evac mission to save me. The dark eyes on Kuro-4's face screen were weary and afraid. I'm in here, Sato. I know I can't prove it, but I'm in here. Sato put a hand on Kuro-4's shoulder. I know you are. They worked in silence. Once, Sato almost fell asleep. A few times he forgot where he was. Finally, Sato said, Fire up your voice recorder. Why? Sato blinked to stay awake. I'm dying, Koro. Fire it up. A blinking red dot and jagged green line took the place of Kuro-4's face. I lost, Kuro-4 said blankly. I couldn't save you. Hush, Sato said. I'm recording. Sato cleared his throat, summoned the last of his strength, and willed his voice to clear. Then he spoke. Command? Visuals on the fritz, so I'm in audio only. This is Sato, still scraping by. I'm really anxious to see you all. Quick status report. Sato continued until he'd said everything he thought Kuro-4 would need. Kuro-4 listened in silence, the green line on his face screen spiking along with Sato's voice. When the recording was over and Kuro-4's face screen returned to normal, there were tears streaming down his artificial cheeks. Recut that any way you need to, to make, make them think I'm still alive, Sato said. Then they'll, then they'll have to come. Kuro-4 smiled through his tears. I don't know what to say. I'm never going to be able to top this. Sato took Kuro-4's cold metal hand, smiled, and faded away. By Robert Dawson. I was half starved. My head ached from a long day of selling commonplace vacations to difficult customers. And if I missed the 517 drone bus, it would be an hour till the next one. Without slowing from my clumsy run, I cyber visualized the timetable. Bus times hovered in front of me in glowing red letters while a calm voice told me that my bus was running four minutes late and that I could catch it at a walk. Gratefully, I cancelled the app and let myself relax. I was out of breath, my shirt was wet with perspiration under my jacket, and my shins hurt from the unaccustomed exercise in office shoes. For a 26-year-old, I was in poor shape. I got to the stop just in time. 
As the bus slowed to a halt, a sultry and not overdressed brunette materialised in front of me. She leaned provocatively against the bus shelter, hip-jutted, blocking my way onto the bus. Hey there, big boy, she breathed. Want to make yourself irresistible to women? Her perfume made my nose tickle and my eyes water. Real perfume would have been illegal in a public place, but they claim that nobody is really allergic to stim plant sensations. All in your mind. Yeah, sure. I stepped through her onto the bus, swiped my card and turned towards the rear. There she was again, standing among the other passengers, toying with a button of her tight blouse. Didn't you hear me, honey? I'm here to tell you how to get any woman you want. Me, for instance. The door chimed and closed. The bus started moving. Those of us who were standing swayed and braced ourselves against the acceleration. She stood motionless in front of me, ignoring the handrail, brazenly flouting Newton's law of motion. Where the hell was her cancelled button? So far, only a few maverick advertisers ignored the law outright, but more and more pop-up designers were making the buttons inconspicuous, forcing you to spend time interacting with their creations before you could exorcise them. Last year's ubiquitous red circle X was a wistful memory of more civilised times. There it was, a tiny silver glyph like a piercing stud on a pouting lower lip. I reached out my finger, like choosing a floor in an old-fashioned elevator, but she shook her head. Uh-uh, stud muffin. It doesn't work like that. Even bad girls deserve a goodbye kiss. I muttered something ungentlemanly, leaned forward and pecked at her intangible lips. She vanished. I glanced quickly around, but apparently nobody had noticed. There was still an empty seat beside a white-haired woman wearing jeans and a powder blue sweater. I sat down before I could make myself any more conspicuous. From under the seat came a sinister rattle. A big brown and white snake slithered out and started to weave menacing loops on the floor around my feet. Its back bore the name of the Prime Minister in clear block capitals. I stepped on its head. It vanished with a puff of smoke and the rattle stopped. Ah, that's better, isn't it? Said a soothing, friendly voice that came from everywhere at once and only I could hear. This June, vote for real change. The woman beside me was looking at my foot. Was that the snake, dear? Yes, I admitted. Across the aisle, a thin girl with dreadlocks seemed to be picking something out of thin air. Sometimes I wish I'd never got stimplanted. You know, I actually believe the government's doing an okay job, but stepping on the snake is the only way to get rid of it. Otherwise it follows me around all day and gets louder and louder. And even then it just keeps coming back. Oh, I hate that one. You mean you've got a stimplant too? Oh, sorry, that was rude. I apologise. It is mainly a young people's thing, isn't it? But my son works in Shanghai and my daughter's in Lagos, and it's almost like being in the same room with them. But is it worth the pop-ups? I need my stim plant for my sales job, but otherwise... A tiger, the mascot of a breakfast cereal that I had bought a few times, stalked along the aisle and paused in front of me. Have you had your quinoa puffs today? It asked reproachfully and walked on. She gave me a sympathetic half-smile and nodded. I almost got mine taken out last month, though it would have broken my heart. 
But I got an ad-blocking patch instead. I thought those didn't work. My son works for Cybella. He gave me a copy of the newest product. That was full of him, wasn't it? It would have cost me $300 otherwise, and I'm on a fixed income. Worth every dime, I thought. Where could I buy it? I think you can download it. I'm not absolutely sure, though, because mine was a present. I brought up my visual display and googled. Sure enough, Cybella, Shanghai. Ad proof? She smiled. That's it, dear. She patted my arm, almost too gently to feel. I authorised the payment so eagerly that I made a mistake on my password and had to try it again. After a few seconds, the world around me began to fizz and sparkle as the patch installed. I smelled mint green and tasted furry pentagons. A million ice-cold ball bearings slithered over my skin. When my senses cleared, the seat beside me was empty. I guess I'm slow on the uptake. I actually looked up and down the bus to see where she'd gone. And then, from somewhere under my seat, I heard an all-too-familiar rattle. I'm here with Adam Pratt. Uh, sorry, Adam Pratt. See, that, I don't know if you knew this, by the way, but <laughs> this has been an ongoing, <laughs> o- ongoing inside joke where I used to get Adam's name wrong, uh, pronounce it wrong. And uh, after that, it became part of my actual lexicon of things I would say. It was really hard for me to break out of it. And apparently it still is because I'm here with Adam Pratt. <laughs> right? Did I get that right, Adam? There you go. Yeah. Yes, you did. And, and uh, as much as I, I would like to share the same uh, pronunciation and, and uh, try to claim uh, being a relative of Tim Pratt, uh, I, I'm afraid I can't. <laughs> it's okay. But Adam is our um, our producer at Drapplecast along with me, and uh, I've worked with him for a long time. And uh, uh, I got him over at Escape Pod uh, for whenever I was the editor over there, and he's always done great work. He's got a great ear for, for audio. And we're going to be listening to what you just heard, Trifecta Special um, from Drabblecast 373, Things We Made. So how are you doing, Adam? I'm doing okay. Um, I, I have uh, one sick kid at home, so <laughs> if we get it uh, interrupted in the background, uh, that's why. But um, I will say that is the least number of uh, sick family I've had home all week. Yeah. It's the joy of parenthood. It's definitely a joy in audio production, too, or you know, when you've got to do an intro and record and yeah. you cold. Ugh. Have you had that experience? I, I've had that experience. I, I had one uh, when we were over at Escape Pod where I uh, I was doing a Ken Liu story, mm-hmm. and I mispronounced through the entire thing, uh, oh, and I'm going to do it again, nuclear? Oh, uh, yeah. You got it. Yeah, okay. Good. That's the one that always gets me. I did it wrong through the entire thing, and I lost my voice that night. <laughs> <laughs> and Divya comes back and says, hey, did you know? And I went, oh, no. And I, I uh, literally got on there and, and uh, sent her a voice memo, and I, and I went, um, Divya, I would love to make the changes, but this is literally my voice right now, and I don't think I'm going to be able to 
<laughs> wow. I've, I've had some notable ones myself with, um, I, I didn't, I mean, there's so many words in the English language, right? I mean, everybody's going to mispronounce something if you haven't heard it before. I know, right? Yeah. And so I never judge people for mispronouncing <laughs> stuff. But I mean, I remember one time I, there was a story and I kept on saying um, Gloucester instead of Gloucester, because how the hell am I? I don't even know where that, I didn't at the time know where that was, <laughs> but man, people read me on it. And I had to go back and, and um, at this point with us, we don't even, I'd rather go late with an episode or figure out how to swap something than to have to do the republish yeah. and the patches and stuff, you know? Because uh, it does take you out of the story. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, and I, I couldn't run with that. But uh, yeah, like my, my kids think I'm nuts because like, um, like the one I did for you most recently with the, uh, the, the most recent trifecta. What was it called? Uh, we don't talk anymore. Right. Um, almost all of the sound effects, apart from I think the gas oven, uh, because I don't own one, was done with my own microphone just around the kitchen, and. Um, of course, both of my kids are home. Both of the dogs are out, and I'm trying to get good sound off of it. Ruin your and then splat. my kids are like tiptoeing through the kitchen. <laughs> They're like, "Daddy's weird." Yeah, it's like Dad. Dad spends lots of time in the closet talking to a box. He's, <laughs> he's taking a shower, I think, but there's a microphone outside of it. Yeah, I mean, a lot of kids. I think it's natural for kids to think a dad is weird, and so you're just kind of running with it, you know. You got your own brand. It's a Ad, Adam branded weird. Well, now, and this was something I was, I've always been meaning to ask you about. Cause like, um, you, you seem to have a very different voice from like your narrator, uh, or your, um, intro and outro host voice. Yeah. It's like, it's two different people. And, and maybe it is, I don't know. Um, it's true. Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know how much audio processing it takes to make Norm sound the way that, that he sounds in your ear holes. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Well, no, honestly. Is that enough of a tangent? No, that's a great tangent. I mean, I become a different character when I'm reading a story or uh, or hosting because I want to slow down my pace and I want to, um, you know, it's, it's, it's not completely different, you know, but I do try and change the timbre of my voice in a different setting. And it helps me have less flubs. Uh, I certainly slow down everything, my heart rate and such hmm. forth. Uh, it's the only thing I can really do because the, the fast thinkers that I know and, and fast people in general, the hyperactive types, have a hard time reading stories because like time works at a different space for them. Like when I get audio back from them, it's like, dude, they can't finish a sentence sometimes without having to restart or without like, kind of crushing a word or speeding something up. <laughs> so uh, it helps me to think like, okay, if I'm in front of a stage or an audience, I'm playing a character and then boom, it just, it's easier. Everything's easier. You imagine the character you're going to be. And uh, I don't know, that's, it's, that, that's a great segue into the general question of like, so I send you a story um, and I, you know, I'm in a, a unique position as an editor and producer to have to divvy up work like that. A lot of people just get to focus on one, but I'm always thinking of production as I, as I work as an editor. So I'll send you stories based on kind of like, oh, this is what Adam's good at. He's sound effect oriented. Um, and sometimes it's like, oh, maybe this will be a challenge for Adam or I want to hear his unique take. But when you get a story, what is your first step and how do you like proceed through all that to make the production happen? Um, I use a, uh, a text-to-speech program. Uh, as the first step usually um, because I, I, I want to hear it in audio as opposed to just seeing what it looks like on the page. Mm -hmm. And uh, another reason for that is I can get a real, uh, believe it or not, even with text-to-speech, you can get a real good sense of the emotional content. Mm -hmm. um, there, there have been sometimes just listening on that, I, I start you know crying or whatever because it, 
like the story's that good and it comes through even that kind of mechanical voice. Wow. Um, but that usually gives me a good idea of like, you know, what, what is this going to sound like in my ears and, and who would be a good match for that? Um, and then usually, you know, it'll, it'll sometimes depend on whether they're a good match, who can do accents, um, the sort of balance of male and female or neutral, um, or, you know, non-conforming, uh, voices that are within it and seeing, you know, okay, who can do that? Well, who's can give me a, a knockout crazy alien voice. You know, I, I have some standbys who are just absolutely fantastic on turning it back around to me quickly. Um, and I'll do that if I'm on more of a deadline. If it's not as much of a deadline, then I, I might go more afield. And then usually they'll they'll get it back to me. I make sure I do my basic filters on it, you know, uh, take out any noise that might be there, um, any pops and poops that slip through, make sure that we take those out. Uh, and then... Actually, what I'm usually doing next after that is figuring out the music soundtrack. Yeah. Um, I think that that really sets the tone mm-hmm. um, for the whole piece. And uh, Kevin Mc- McLeod is kind of my go-to. Really awesome and, and uh, really great ways to filter by length and the feel of it. And um, um, huge library, too. So um, he's, he's kind of my, my go-to. Then once I have that track laid down, I'm happy with it. Um, then I'll usually go through and, and start laying out my sound effects. Uh-huh. Um, and I, I'll um, a lot of times just make a list of every single sound effect that I need. And then uh, freesound.org is awesome. It has a lot of really great stuff out there. My first go-to. Or if there's something that I can make on my own uh, and that I, I know that I I will have that ability and it'll turn out well. I'll just make it myself. Absolutely. Yeah, that's essentially my process too. And uh, I don't know about you, but producing the Drabblecast since 2007 taught me how to do this. Like, I mean, that's I've learned through doing essentially and making and creating, which is, of course, the name of this special things we made. Um, but, you know, the easiest part, I think, has always been like what microphone to get, how to figure out the software, like the actual technical pieces. Like you can find most of that online or with friends. But like the piece that's harder to learn is is that uh, how do you get point A to Z, you know, like with the actual story, making it a cinematic thing, which Mm -hmm. you've said before, and I agree with that separates Drabblecast a little bit from other podcasts is we try and create experiences that are bigger than, I mean, the text of the story, I was really moved by you saying that just a text to speak program made you cry. That's a really good story. And the stories we try and produce are the best that we can find uh, and pay for, but uh, there's more that we could do to enhance and build an atmosphere uh, that really is magical for people Mm -hmm. like think that other podcasts don't tend to do yep so this is kevin mcleod here right useful objects by Erica yep definitely Dalton. i'm a sucker for piano <laughs> i can tell um i think it it's really one of the to me with the most emotive instrument out there um so i'll take advantage of that all the time yeah, Kevin's music works good um, for production too because yeah. the fact that it's very like ambient and drone based. Like this thing started out with just that cello mm-hmm. going, and then the piano just does a note. Yeah, yeah. it's not too complicated. Well, and, and to be fair, he does also write a lot of really bombastic stuff. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but it, I'm not picking those. It's, you know, I'm not um, scoring a movie. Um, you know, I'm scoring a narration. Right. Um, so it, it's kind of a different deal. Like you can, you can score a big bombastic battle scene, you know, uh, with, with music and not have to have any sort else 
on top of that, where we're talking about the, they just talked about the person mid transformation here coming through the, trying to reach through the door. Um, anytime you hear that, that shot bell, that that's the same shot bell <laughs> sound effect that I've used for every story for Drivelcast whenever it's needed. So that's a uh, that's my own personal Wilhelm scream, I guess. <laughs> I use that shop bell too, so I guess uh, it's, it is a Wilhelm scream at this point because it's the standard shop. It's the perfect shop bell. You can't there you go. Better. A bell jingles, and I look up to see a woman in mid transformation. You also had um, some of the effects on the voice with the aliens and the makers and this. How did you get those effects and voices? The makers are alive. So uh, what I did with the ones who are transforming. After I recorded everything, I had the sound effect in a separate track, and I um, there's what's called envelope, uh, which lets you very precisely increase and decrease the volume, and I made it match exactly the waveform that was on top of it so that the volume would match my, my voice as I was doing those characters, uh, which is insane. Um, it's, it was so time consuming um to to try to match that up um but but that's you know i was like well what is a gravel man stone man voice and i was like well you just gotta match the gravel stone sound to the voice i don't know how else to do that yeah i think the effects of the makers um that sort of metallic sound a lot of that um was Actually, some freesound.org uh, ones that I'd, I'd come across of just, like, people banging and sliding knives against each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that, that was intentional. I wanted that kind of, like, sharp sound. To me, they they just seemed like they were real pokey. You know, I, I picture them being very spider-like with, with, like, almost, like, bladed feet mm-hmm. in a way. The makers tend to their human machines like careful yeah. gardeners. They shamble down the human-lined streets on their twisted that. insectoid legs. And every day, I feel they're able... They're like ice pick-like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Choose. Say the voices in my head. Decide. That, like, choose, decide. Yeah. Obvious. Um, I, I actually, if I remember right, I recorded each of those twice and overlap them um, so that I could actually like make them have a slight delay in between the two of them and give them that kind of like creepy feeling of like there's multiple voices that are talking to you in this sort of whispered voice. I think you put it in stereo too, didn't you? Like left and right because so it kind of fills your head if you've got headphones. Yeah, yeah. Like me. I'll write you. You'll still be able to read, won't you? Of course I'll be able to read. It's yeah, that's the gravel, right? So it sounds like there's actual dust or dirt falling from yep. his voice. Yeah. But I just I love the the concept of this one in terms of like, you, you know that quote of like nothing is more necessary than the unnecessary. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's a lot of what this story is getting at is just like the beauty of this pointlessness. Yeah. You know, and and doing something that there there's not a need for. Um, and, you know, like people who take art education or, or you know, art history degrees, you know, like, oh, how are you going to make money with that? You know, it's not the point. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, I really loved being able to, to, to convey that in this story. 
yeah, I felt like you were a millennial mm -hmm. sitting there talking to me from your parents' basement that wanted to get back to uh, back to his roots. I wish to disappear. Yeah. Well, and uh, I love the, the music on this is just perfect too. For these things have no function. I don't know. I re really get a good visual with this one of just like him standing out in the middle of a, the freezing cold ocean. Mm -hmm. um, and that the whole part in there is like, I wish to be, um, you know, the sun on the trees and the trees themselves. And, the you know, just that that imagery is ah, so spot on. Very powerful. Forever. Mm -hmm. Not yet, though. Not yet. And then that last line, I'm not nearly finished yet. Near. Ready yet. Uh, I love it. Pause it real quick. Ready yet. Do you ever, have you ever made yourself kind of tear up by reading a story, like live and recording it? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I think that was one where I was starting to choke up a little bit. <laughs> yeah. And, and I was just like, man, just run with it. You know, let, let that go in. Um, cause it, it's gonna, it's gonna show up in the final product. I, I, that, those are one of those moments at the end of this story where it spoke to me and a lot like what you said in your interpretation. It's like there is this cultural phenomenon of the makers moving and do-it-yourself culture, and it comes from this tech industry, Silicon Valley kind of thing, and it's always tied into 3D printing, and um, you know it's gotten into more traditional artisans. And but people have been making stuff for for so long, and, and I'm so appreciative of it. I mean, I, I consider myself a maker a lot. Anybody who's able to create stuff, but this idea that um, giving everyone the tool to to move from a passive user to an active creator isn't anything new um it's just become easier and easier but um to get lost in that space and to constantly be thinking about creating and innovating and becoming a, a tesla car or whatever kind of car she was i can't remember who, um, vespa yeah vespa that's what it was um as opposed to just being and to listening to the ocean and, and to it's, it was powerful for me when the character decides to become the ocean mm -hmm. and the leaves and everything i didn't even make that connection to like the makers movement i just you know, was was thinking of it in terms of like the whole idea of like, oh, you got to go and make something of yourself, you know, like oh. the, the idea of a, a useful object being like a, a being useful in society um, and this kind of being a pushback against that of saying like, you know, you're still valuable even if you aren't a quote unquote useful object. See, that's why I love doing these, Adam, because I hadn't thought of that perspective yet. Like. It's, uh, I heard yeah. that these things were called makers and people call themselves makers. And I was th really focused on that aspect, but you're totally right. It applies in both settings, what we make of ourselves, you know? Yeah. And it's like, you know, sometimes you, you, you are about like the Mr. Rogers, you know, like you, you are, you are fine just the way you are. Yeah. All right. Let's hit this next one. This is, uh, all right. uh, I think Trendane Sparks read this, right? Metal and Flesh yeah. by Stephen Stewart. Trendane's amazing. Yep. He's one of your go-tos, isn't he? He is. Absolutely. Yeah. Ah, oh, God, the piano. Yeah, I mean, any story that's got an AI that is broken and a human trying to fix it or vice Metal versa. <laughs> by Stephen R. Stewart. Yeah, well... The image that comes to me with this one is um, the the yin yang symbol, hmm. and I think that was intentional. Mm -hmm. um, of like they're you know literally curled one up against each other, each trying to fix the other. 
and they're kind of like you know metal and flesh you know like that's dark and light you know these opposites going on mm -hmm. um i think some of the i remember the that machine effect was a purchased one um of just this, the sound of you know the the mars station going on in the background like a slow river i think at one point in here there's like a there's like a metal cooling like tick 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 kind of effect that stayed on the wry eyes on kuro 4's face screen studied sato's worried face if the impact left even a third of the solar panels intact kuro 4 said that should be enough to keep life support going Sato grunted. See, it probably took you 30 minutes just to get the mixing right on how to make that, that crunchy sound in the background not overwhelming. It's perfect, mm -hmm. I think. I think you did it perfect. If the impact left even a third of the solar panels intact, Kuro 4 said, that should be enough to keep life support going. The, the hardest thing to create on a voice is um, that robotic effect. Yeah. Because, um, like, if you just try to do a vocoder to it, um, about half the time, what you end up actually doing is just ruining the intelligibility. <laughs> it's true. Less bit-like somehow. So it's trying, yeah, yeah. It's it's so hard. Out of how many? Kuro 4 was silent. You've got it easy, Sato said. No pain. On the other hand, the mechanisms you are working on are simple compared to the human body. <laughs> I'll tell you what. The reason I keep going back to Tran is is he oh god he just lives it mm -hmm. um like you just i hear a pain in that voice you know when when he's playing talking with a human uh, you know an exhaustion it comes through and and um the other thing about him is like he'll he'll do extra stuff just to help it go through like um toward the the end of this story because he you know he starts recording um just basically b-roll mm -hmm. <laughs> uh audio of just to, to put in there and i, I said to turn like hey i i kind of want like after the story keeps on going i want to be able to give this impression that you know this this probably took him a long time mm -hmm. to keep saying and and talking and, and keeping it on going can you just give me like you know some improvised um dialogue isn't or i guess it'd be a monologue of what he would be saying and if you listen in there really closely you can actually hear it after the narration keeps going ducked down real low uh volume is some of that improvisation of him continuing to record huh. sato cleared his throat summoned the last of his strength and willed oh, God, his voice and to clear then he spoke. This is a different music piece behind it now. Command. And it just wrecks me. On the fritz, so I'm in audio it only. gets positive. Like it's we have the, a major key drop in. Quick status report. Sato continued yeah, it's until just he like, said everything he thought Kuro. It really supports like, yeah, this is super sad, but it's like, what a beautiful thing this guy's doing. Yeah. You know, like he's... <laughs> for his robot friend, you know, he's like, okay, I gotta do this because either way they're gonna come get him. Recut mm -hmm. that and you need to to make make them think I'm still alive, Sato yeah. said. And just like the little things he's doing there, like too, just you know, you could do a straight reading of like recut that however you need to to make them think I'm still alive. Mm -hmm. No, Tren reads this. Recut that. However, you need to to make them think I'm 
still alive. You know, I'm exaggerating it, but you know, like he's actually taking a deep breath and he's exhausted and uh, yeah, yeah, it's so good. Pop-ups. Yeah. Third one here is uh, yeah, what? Pop-ups by uh, Nick. Pop-ups. Uh, Nick Cam is the narrator and the, the pop-ups is by Robert Dawson. Yeah. I love the piano in this. I was half starved. Yeah, the music is perfect. It reminds me of um, like Looney Tunes whenever they have like an industrial, yeah, kind of crazy thing happening. Uh, mm-hmm. um, it's very specifically like Looney Tunes that this one really reminds me of. Yeah, I love that it's a texture change in sound too. The first two stories are more contemplative, and you've got music that really cha- breaks the mood. And mm-hmm. My shirt was wet with perspiration under my jacket and my shoes. Got those uh, running footsteps going. Time till the next one. Without slowing from my clumsy run, I cyber visualized the timetable. Bus times hovered in front of me in glowing red letters while a calm voice told me that my bus was running four minutes late and that I could catch it at a walk. Gratefully, I cancelled the app and let myself in. Definitely mind. gives that feel of being late for, for a train. For a mm-hmm. Um, the other thing I, I really liked about this one is I was like, I need some auditory way to express that visual. You just heard it there. Yep. Of like that. Yeah. Where it comes in. And it's actually a different sound from when they disappear. Hey there, big boy. Hmm. Like it goes uh, when they appear and then when ah, they, when it's they an disappear. inversion. It's an inversion of the first sound. I do really? that a lot too. You would have been illegally the mm-hmm. place, but they claim that nobody's yeah. really allergic. And I mean, that's uh, they'll do that a lot, even in like uh, like if you see Hamilton, yeah, uh, or listen to Hamilton. Um, they do that with characters. You know, like they all have a a different way of expressing it, just based off of the way the tone goes. Mm-hmm. The bus started moving. Those of us who were standing swayed and braced ourselves against the acceleration. This, I love the way the music changes. I stepped through her onto the bus, swiped my card, and turned towards the rear. There she was again, standing among the other passengers, toying with a button of her tight blouse. Didn't you hear me, honey? I'm here to tell you how to get any woman you want. Me, for instance. I love the timing on that. Yeah. Yeah. It's like me, for instance, and it's like, ooh, sultry. Yeah. So good. Where the hell was her cancel button? So far, only a few Maverick advertisers. I love how it goes away here, and you've got that kind of like actual field sound of being on a train. So it places the scene in a different kind of setting and moves you towards somewhere else. There it was. Is that it's it's still there through the whole thing, um, but it wasn't quite long enough to fit for as long as I wanted it to. Hmm. So if you listen really close, you can hear where I loop it. <laughs> That's I, I probably had to loop that about five times. Mm. Yeah. You know, people don't notice like, the, the loops because they're focusing on the like, words. No, no, no. I do it all the time. There's a lot of times where I'm just like, oh, this is like 10 seconds short. I need another 10 seconds. Loop, 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 loop. <laughs> there was still an empty seat beside a white-haired woman wearing jeans and a powder blue sweater. The, the trick to that is, is you can actually see it on the waveform. Um, it's like where it starts to narrow down on the volume just a little bit. That's usually a good place to cut and loop it. But um, from under the seat came where it talks about him 
seeing the the old lady there that he talks with for the first time mm -hmm. the volume's way 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 down compared to the others but the pop-up appearance effect is there hmm. that's better isn't it so it's sort of like how he didn't quite notice that that she was a pop-up you could also go by it and not notice hey that was a pop-up appearance sound but it's there yeah. right when she first appears was looking at my foot that the snake, dear? Yes, I admitted. Across the aisle, a thin girl with dreadlocks seemed to be picking something out of thin air. Sometimes I wish I'd never got stimplanted. You know, I actually believe the government's doing an okay job, but stepping on the snake Such is the only way to get rid of it. <laughs> Otherwise, it follows me around all day and gets louder and louder. And even then, he just keeps coming back. Oh, I hate that one. You mean you've got a stimplant too? Oh, sorry, that was rude. I apologize. It is mainly a young people's thing, isn't it? But my son works in Shanghai and my daughter's in Lagos, and it's almost like being in the same room. A tiger, the mascot of a breakfast cereal that I had bought a few it's, This story's so Black Mirror, isn't it? Do you ever watch that show? I, I actually have not been able to see it yet, but... Yeah, it seems to have, like, similar themes. Yeah, I would I would she just run every story on there for Drabblecast if I'd got those stories first. They're just they're right on target. <laughs> this, this story is like I mean anybody who's seen Black Mirror is, will agree that this is very much in that vein of technology and how it changes culture. And that sound effect that bloop that you got is like straight out of Black Mirror. You know, it feels like that is the kind of thing that they would make a production choice to use. Yeah. Worth every dime, I thought. So this narrator, Nick Cam, is somebody you use a lot too. Oh yeah, he, he does awesome, awesome stuff. Especially if I want like that that British effect or a very proper kind of sound. Um, I he's kind of my go-to. I used him on "I Will Remain." That that was the one of the first ones back after the the hiatus. Yep. Um, after a few seconds, the world around me began to fizz and sparkle as the patch installed. I love. I, smell I love this effect here too. Furry pentagons. A million ice cold ball bearings slithered over my skin. Did furry pentagons? How did you? <laughs> a pentagon, yeah. How did you find that sound effect? It's ball bearings. Sounds like an eruption. I think that was a purchased. That was actually a purchased one, and I I just kind of I couldn't find anybody who had what I I wanted, and then I just started going through some of those ones where you can buy individual. Uh, sound effects and I just like I, I need like static creepy kind of sound that way mm -hmm. and and uh, yeah that's when I ran across I love how you get the music to come back in at the I end I do that all the time too where you've got kind of um, it wraps mm -hmm. the story up with the uh, same music you use at the beginning and the end yeah timing wise I mean that's it's so important you know God, that was so good. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, like, back the other thing I like about I it so is that... I heard an all-too-familiar rattle. <laughs> it just sweeps in. It's it's acting like, you know, okay, the snake's there, but it's also, like, maracas. Yeah. There. Just how discordant that is. Yeah. I mean, it's a great piano track, and it's perfect for kind of leading out of the story, too. Oh, yeah. It's, it's different from the beginning with the straightness of that playing it. Uh, but, yeah, that for some reason, that, that trifecta is just one that I go back to over and over again. And it's, I mean, I think it's the variety, and it's just the the quality of of um, what what Trendane and, and Nick were doing there. And um, 
It, it's actually one of the the few podcasts I have saved, so it won't delete after it's done. <laughs> oh, if you think about the levels of things that we made, like you and I, Adam, uh, and the editors and the staff, so we get hundreds of stories sent to us every week. These smaller stories that are all a, a thousand words or less, we keep in a folder and wait for the magical moment of of inspiration to hit and go. That's that's a theme that can make a trifecta. Then we buy those three stories out of thousands and put them together. Um, and and an editorial process and get contracts and then we send them out to somebody like you after it's gone through all this stuff already you know and then then you t- pick up the ball from there and run mm-hmm. the olympic torch of the next step further with the narrators that you you call and you get in- involved with and the musical choices and buying the sound effects and the order of the stories and the timing of the stories and then it all comes back to me i put in an intro and an outro that fits this overall theme and idea of things we made uh, and it connects and it started from the very beginning with a, a vision and idea and then it ended with the same thing after going through god knows how many steps yeah i mean it's a team sport <laughs> for sure definitely um anyone can do like a, a straight story podcast mm-hmm. and and those are good and i like them um but i think you know we're we're kind of we're, we're turning the dial up to a love <laughs> it's true we don't have the video component to go with cinema. So it's a weird gray line that we kind of ride with mm-hmm. having audio cinema in a way. Um, you know, I've, I've, I don't know about you, but I've gone through all the steps to make the music and all of that happen because I love the cinematic stuff. It is fun to do a lot, although it's backbreaking work. Um, you know, sometimes it takes an hour per minute of production if you're really trying to mix it perfect and putting a lot of cinematic elements into it. And then at the end of the day, I've, there's a couple stories that I can recall that I just took all that out and had mostly a straight read or some pieces with music in it because it just, it was me imposing what I wanted on the story as opposed to working with the vision of the author, which is where it all started, you know? Yeah. And I mean, that's kind of how I, I picture my job with this is that like, I, I need to use the effects and the music to create a visual picture. Mm-hmm. You know, in that that whole theater of the mind thing. <laughs> I know, I love it too. Until until next time, though. Uh, I guess what's the next story we got you up for? I think I'm gonna send you some Women and Aliens Month story for March. Uh, I think you need to send it to me, man. I, I'm waiting on them. Yeah. See, that's what I'm talking about. These deadlines. It all comes back to this guy here. I'm 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 the biggest roadblock to my own podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I'll go ahead and do that now while it's fresh on my mind so you can get going on it. But uh, I look forward to hearing it. I'm sure our listeners do too. All right. We'll look for it, man. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks so much, Adam. 